Please be seated. And I would like to point out, did you see what Jonathan and Jenna just did? They borrowed from St. Ephraim's sermon in case this one's really bad. (laughs) I would have thought by the third service you would have done away with it. The Lord be with you, friends. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. I am all kinds of amped up uh, to be with you this morning. It's, there's people on the lawn. Are we so excited that you can sit on the lawn? <laughs> and a p- bunch of folks in the gathering space. And this is our first ever live stream. You're on the internet right now. Isn't that amazing? It's all kinds of incredible. Uh, there, there's a chance it's pretty high. Uh, I'm going to borrow a play out of Jenna and Jonathan's playbook and rehearse that call and response with you where I might say Christ is risen and you might say he's risen indeed. Uh, In a fairly sobering, if not also modestly hopeful book titled uh, Christianity After Religion, just want to let that sit there for a second, Christianity After Religion, uh, author Diana Butler Bass writes these words. We've most likely come to the end of the beginning of a great transformation of faith. What was is no longer. And as a result, discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and for some, despair are the themes of the day. How's that for the opening to an Easter Sunday sermon? (laughs) Discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and for some, despair. Anybody know what she's talking about? Good news, good news. The book was written 11 years ago. Things have gotten so much better. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Our stunning capacity to hold space for those with whom we disagree. Isn't it amazing? And the amazing advances we've made in racial reconciliation in our country are just staggering to me. And and the way we're so generous with our public discourse, isn't it outstanding? You're picking up on my sarcasm? If discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and despair described us 11 years ago, what words would you use now? which is why this day matters so much. This is the day that takes the discontent and gives it joy. This is the day that takes the doubt and offers it faith. This is the day that takes disillusionment and gives it what's really real. This is the day that takes despair and offers it hope. This is the day that changes everything. This is the day where whatever is old can become new. That's what the Bible says. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. See, everything's new. This is the day. That's why we say Christ is risen, by the way. So listen with me to the way one of the first people to see Christ alive again tells the story. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
suddenly there was an earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. Come see where they lay him. Then go tell his disciples, you can go ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they fell on their faces and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And he said, go tell my disciples, I'm going ahead of them to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Matthew 28, 1 through 10, if you wanted to find it in a Bible uh, near you. What a story. What a, what a wild, crazy, amazing story. An angel shows up looking like lightning and snow. When was the last time you saw those two in nature? And the powerful soldiers with their weapons of violence, they're the ones who fall down like dead men while the little women, just sad, they get the announcement of the resurrection. And they run away with fear and great joy. What a combination. What a story. What an amazing, wild story. And it starts so simply. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I'm going to build an entire Easter sermon on that one verse. Do you like the verse? If not, the sermon's going to be real bad. (laughs) After the Sabbath. Um, Sabbath, so go with me way back to the way back beginning. When God made everything, that's what Christians think at least, God spoke the world into existence. Day one, Light, day two, sea, day three, land, day four, sun, day five, creatures, day six, you. And on day seven, you remember what happened on day seven? Yeah, doesn't it sound good? God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God hallowed it, and we call it Sabbath. Seventh day on Saturday, God rested. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. If you're willing to overlay the first week of creation existence... With the last week of Jesus' life, there's at least one shocking parallel. On Thursday, the last week of his life, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he poured out the cup and said, this is my body, this is my blood. And then on Friday, they crucified and killed him and hung him in the world's backyard, a shameful display for anyone walking by. And then on Saturday, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, remember what they did to him on Saturday? They laid him in a tomb. On the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, they laid him in a tomb. Do you see the parallel? Matthew here, starting this resurrection story, is not giving us a timeline. It's the first day of the week. He's rather announcing what God was doing way back in the way back beginning. When he was speaking life into existence, he's now doing again in Jesus Christ. Making things new including you. That's what this day is about. 
Christ inaugurating a whole new way, a whole new day, a whole new posture, orientation to the world. This is the day. I like the way N.T. Wright puts it. Bet you'll like this too. What God is doing on this day is not just an extraordinary miracle, a display of supernatural power for its own sake, or a special favor to Jesus. What God is doing is starting something new, beginning the new world promised long ago. A whole new world was opening up in front of them. The Son of Man had been vindicated after his suffering, and there was dawning not just another day, another week in the history of Israel and the world, but the start of God's new age. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, it's a new age, it's a new way. You don't have to go play by the same old boring scripts the world is writing. You don't have to hold on to the bitterness and the anger and the sadness and what was it again? Discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and despair. There's a new day. Christ is risen, is the idea. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Who did you expect? Who would you have expected? Peter, maybe? He gets a lot of play in the New Testament. James, it's his brother, I think. Is it his brother? John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, they're not there. Peter, James, John, they don't show up. Who is there? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mary Magdalene, she's from a fishing village called Magdala. That's why we call her Magdalene. And she was rich. She, I don't know how she pulled it off, but she made a bunch of money, and she was actually a financier for Jesus' ministry. I don't know how this happens, but at some point, Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven, count them, seven demons. In 591, Pope Gregory I, in an Easter Sunday sermon, which I'm sure is way better than this one, referred to Mary Magdalene as a sinful woman. Some say in order to keep her, her, her down in the life of the church. Implying that she was a prostitute. And most people, when they hear the name Mary Magdalene, think that. So let me get this straight. Of all the people who could have been given the opportunity to announce the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we get Mary Magdalene with a past we don't know how to talk about and a reputation we don't want to talk about. And yet she's the one who announces the resurrection. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the other Mary. I read all of the Gospels in preparation for this sermon because I wanted to do you right. I still can't figure out who the other Mary is. I googled the other Mary. There's an entire Wikipedia page devoted to the other Mary, and I still don't know who she is. So let me get this straight. A woman we can't find or identify is given permission and opportunity to announce the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who did you expect? This is the gospel. It is not about the quality of your character, but about the doing, the dying, the rising, and the reigning of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the gospel. I'm so glad it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, because that means maybe me. 
with the stuff I don't want you to know about me. So don't ask my mom. <laughs> and you, with the stuff maybe they do know about you. You can be included in this drama of salvation because of Jesus. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They just wanted to check it out. They weren't going to get too close. That's what the word means, see. They, they were, it's the same women who, when Christ was crucified, stood at a distance. Guys weren't around, so let's be clear about that. But the women, they were at a distance. And now this word, uh, they w- went to see the tomb, It's the same word we get, the word theater. They came to watch. They came to look. They wanted to keep it all at a distance. But you know how it unfolds. The angel descends, the earthquake, the lightning, and the snow, and the fear, and the great joy. And then the angel says, I know you're looking. Notice the word again. I hope I'm not boring you. I'm playing with words. They went to see the tomb. The angel says, I know you're looking. The word is journey. The word is searching. You're on a journey. You're trying to find something. Anybody ever been there? How did that go again? Discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and for some, despair. You're on a journey, wondering, looking. Maybe there's a God. I don't know. And then the angel says, he's not here. He's been raised. Come see, which we've been singing, Come see where they lay him. Now the word see has to do with behold. Enter in, experience. So first they're at a distance watching. Now they're on a journey searching. And the angel says, come take a look. Enter in, behold. To experience the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you enter into the tomb. You go to the place of pain. Isn't it interesting? Christ has already been raised from the dead. The angel descends and rolls back the stone. He's not there. Why would the angel roll back the stone? Theatrics? Not so that he could get out, but so that they could get in. Come see where they lay in. To behold the resurrection, you have to go to the place of pain where they laid his bloody body on the stone-cold tomb. We, We do all we can to avoid pain. You might as well call it our middle name, John Avoid Pain Brown. That's just how we do it. We drink ourselves into numbness and we work ourselves into forgetfulness and we yell ourselves at each other making it your fault. We avoid pain at all costs. The angel says, come and see. You got to go there. I was with my therapist. This is probably two weeks ago, maybe. We were talking about pain. Doesn't that seem about right for a therapist's office? We were talking about pain and I was telling him, about this article I'd read on Christian humanism. I was thinking it through. Uh, Apparently this article was suggesting if you want to be fully human, you follow Jesus, who was the fullness of humanity, who suffered. So to be human is to suffer. To be human is to hurt. To be human is to know pain. And my therapist got all kinds of amped up. He was like pumped. It got very awkward for a while. He said to me, and I think I have this right, our capacity to move towards pain is the extent to which we can love. 
our capacity to move towards pain is the extent to which we can love. We want to keep it at a distance. And so we experience love at a distance. The angel says, come see where they lay him. Then go tell his disciples. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. murdered 45 years ago this week. Yeah, the, uh, the, the day before he was killed, he preached a sermon. In the sermon, he said, the world is all messed up. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. But I know, somehow, that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. Only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. You've got to move towards the pain to behold the resurrection. Are you with me? I got a text message on Friday. During, well, I guess it was just after the Good Friday service, but I was still in church. I got the text message, and I did what you do when you're in church and you get a text message. I ignored it. Just like you're supposed to. I see you. I'm watching you. It was from my friend Diane. Uh, Diane Kananenbelt. Remember she shared her story a couple of weeks ago? Up on the screen here. I'm bad with time. COVID kind of warped my sense of time. I think it was like two years ago her husband Harry died. And then like six months later, her dad died. And then like six months later, her son-in-law was diagnosed with melanoma, though he's recovering now. And then like six months later, her son was diagnosed with incurable lung cancer. And just a couple, can you imagine this? And just a couple weeks ago, uh, her son Chad went into hospice care. So I got a text from her during the Good Friday service. Chad is home with Jesus. We had a beautiful morning together. He had to listen to me sing hymns and songs. As I was telling him I loved him, and to go home to Jesus, he passed over into his Savior's arms. 1210, Good Friday. The love of the cross, the power of resurrection, love, and grace has given him his crown of victory and forever is in the presence of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that loves him. Uh, Chad and I were friends. Uh, we were on the same t-ball team. It's called the Wonder Boys. Uh, from the movie The Natural, you know that bat, the Wonder Boys? We had this stupid, my dad was the coach, and I'm going to call you out. We had this stupid idea, so as to avoid any of the best players getting in the best positions all the time, we had this thing we called shift. So every time a batter for the other team got up and, of course, got on base, we all had to shift positions. What a terrible idea. Just let us play baseball. Chad and I were on the same, same t-ball team. I, I don't know how it all works, but his life was, it was complicated. It got pretty hard. I think he drank a lot. And I know he got arrested for it. And Harry, Diane, parents, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do you love and nurture your adult child into flourishing? And one good Friday, 
again, I'm bad with time, a couple of years ago, Chad called his dad and said, Dad, I need help. And they refer to that Good Friday as their Good Friday miracle. When someone's willing to say, Dad, I need help. What is it again? Discontent, doubt, disillusionment, and despair. Dad, I need help. In a world where Nashville is no longer known for its music, Dad, I need help. In a world where tanks roll along, inching us closer and closer to a nuclear war, Dad, I need help. And whatever it is you brought in, I don't know what it is, but you know, you carry it, you know what it is. Dad, I need help. This is the day we can say, I need help because Christ died. Christ went into the tomb. Christ rose again to make things new, including you. Amen? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.